space. Final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain oh, Jim. You're, you're on mute, Jim. Nope, you are. Wait, can everybody hear? Yeah, we're all here. I'll start again. <laughs> Greetings, salutations, <laughs> and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, is Admiral Elliot, and joining us again, Dr. Squee. Hi there. Was that a no, you are, or was that literally... Yeah. You were you were showing mute on my screen, and I think we were was I showing mute on your screen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. El- Elliot was showing us as on for both of us, but sorry. Anyway, right. I digress. Hello. we're having we're having hours and hours of fun already with this one. So, anybody who's watching this stream live, well done, because <laughs> it nearly didn't happen. Uh, anyone who's listed on the podcast, you'll wonder what on earth we're talking about. Well, I will tell you what we are talking about. First of all, we're looking at Bride of Chaotica from Voyager, carrying on our holodeck troll. And uh, we're also going to look at Heart of Stone, which is the the next increment in the Dominion War saga, kind of. Yeah, it's another lead up to the Dominion yeah, War. Yeah, it has a member of the Dominion in it. <laughs> so that is good enough oh. for it to get on our yeah. list. We said that we were doing it in depth, and we are. <laughs> yep. I mean, By the you, way, spoilers. Well, <laughs> I think people know that we spoil stuff now. But um, yeah, Doctor Squee, you weren't here when we covered the classic episode Meridian. Now that is doing a deep dive into the Dominion War <laughs> because there is one line of dialogue in the opening <laughs> teaser. We had to cover one of the worst episodes of Deep Space Nine. Oh no! Just to pause that. By the way, guys, I I um I realised uh, I found some of my old VHS tapes, and you forget how big they are when you go to put them in because, geez, man, I tell you, wow, this is ridiculous. Oh, wow, what's that? What's that? Oh, hold that up! Hold that up! Because that that proves something that we've been talking about. So we can see okay. the episodes. Right, initiations and non sequitur. So those are the first two episodes of season two, except they're not. They only are on the UK VHS release. Yeah. Oh, so, so which ones were? Um, well, they were actually the first two episodes filmed for season two, but they held back four episodes from season one to going to season two. So they did... The 37s, then initiations. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so there we go. And I remember that prop that you're holding up there. For anyone who's listening on the podcast, Dot Squeak has an enormous VHS video standee, which they used as a point of sale in video shops, which used to be a thing in the UK. Um, well, I think worldwide everyone had blockbusters. Yes, they did. But that used to be, I remember well, seeing one of them in MVC. I think it's safe to say now that uh, probably everyone concerned is retired. But because I've gone really well with the stuff at WH Smith's when I was a kid, I used to go out there and I always used to buy the um, the tapes of DS9 and Voyager. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they knew me so well and they kind of, like, I got on with them so well. They were like, um, oh, yeah, 
they they tell us like, by the way, we get these on a, on a Friday. If you come in or for a Saturday morning, I forget which it was. If you come in in the morning on that day, we'll just sign out to you. You know, just just don't tell anyone. So I used to get the the videos a couple of days before release. And that is why Woolworths is no longer a shop in the UK. It, it went was out Smith, of and they're still going. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, we did. Um, a friend of mine worked at. Um, I won't say the name of the supermarket. Uh, but they let him have the Star Wars The Phantom Menace a day early. And we oh, watched... I bet he was pleased about that. It was at the time, but then we watched <laughs> it and we were like, oh, no. Anywho. You know, that yeah, really yeah you the Phantom Menace didn't age well between cinema and video. Nope, that's let alone to now. <laughs> I mean, I know the, the home video market is, isn't what it used to be, certainly. But, like, you can imagine now the security, like, the idea of something getting released early, just unheard of. If that someone gets so fired that second, but that power used to be in the hands of a middle-aged woman who was working in Smith's yeah, to just like, go, yeah, there you go, it's a few days early. I remember I was devastated once. I went in MVC and they had, do you remember Robin of Sherwood, the TV show? Yeah. And they, they finally released it on VHS, and I was like, yes, I'm going to end it. They had the whole third series with Jason Connery. Um, so I picked up all four of them, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get these. I haven't seen these for years. And they were like, yeah, they don't come out until next Monday, so you can't have them now. And I was like, but you had them on the shelf? And they were like, yeah, no, you can't have them. I was like, Were oh. you said yeah, by Bo Selector? Yeah. That used to happen a lot with uh, videos. Yeah. That they'd put them out on the shelf to sort of show you. Yeah. What was coming out and you sort of like, well, why show me? Just put a poster up. Yeah, Don't same. fill your shelves with it. <laughs> that was it. The, yeah. These are the trials and tribulations of um, VHS video shops. Uh, <laughs> now, that, now that we're done with our reminiscences, let's, uh, let's talk about Bride of Chaotica then. So <laughs> this is one that I think is thought of very, very fondly when people talk about Voyager. Well, it's it's thought of that fondly that um, Robert was um, allegedly pitching it as an idea to CBS for a series. So he says. I mean, I'm not being funny. We all age. Robert Duncan (laughs) McNeil does not look now like he did back then. No, he doesn't. And, like... I don't think he's got that square-jawed, Flash Gordon kind of look to him anymore. (laughs) I also think that there are certain actors who may be, and I don't think he is this, is like there's some actors who go, it's like, no, I can still do it. Like, I think he's more down to earth (laughs) than believing. To be fair, I I think with Robert Duncan McNeil, like, he spends his time directing. Oh, he does. I think he'd be more interested in actually... Getting involved in the writing and the directing of it, I'm as opposed sure being the showrunner, as opposed to well, being the star. And also, he's an exec producer on that new Turner and Hooch show and on Resident Alien. So I don't imagine the guy's got a lot of free time at the minute. <laughs> and Not until Turner and Hooch gets cancelled. <laughs> no, which, why would it? I mean, come on, have you watched it? No. Oh, endless storylines there. I mean, let's just say, by episode two, they're doing a diehard spoof, but with a dog. (laughs) And it's got quite an amusing title because I'm assuming (coughs) that the word dog doesn't have the same connotation in the US as it does here. But this is the title of that episode A Good Day to Dog Hard. (laughs) 
Okay, I mean, look. Yep. Now you say that. It I imagine that the UK release might have to change its title. No, it doesn't. They've kept the title. I just watched, I watched it the other day, and it was not what I was expecting from that title. I mean, I, I'm telling you, like, it doesn't surprise me at all that they're doing that in the second episode. But no, I'm just. Fact, yeah. I'm looking forward to episode three, see what happens there. But anyway, right, Bride of Chaotica, come on. Focus, guys, focus. So, yeah, it starts off very sort of serial style. Like, it gives us the sort of on the previous uh, Captain Proton, yeah. and, you know, we get all that stuff. It's very lovingly done, isn't it? It's a really... It's a it, good it's homage a, it's to a great, the... It's a proper tribute to the 30 serials. Yeah. and Like, I... Like... When I when I was growing up, like I, I'm a bit older than you guys, uh, on BBC on BBC Two, regularly they used to show these radio, these um, theatre plays, cinema yeah. plays. Yeah. No, I remember. Yeah, like, so yeah. I, I I grew up watching like the Flash Gordons and the Buck Rogers, uh, King <laughs> of the Rocket Men, all them sort of things from the 30s and 40s, and uh, I love this. This is like. I love this episode because of that. Yeah, they are great. I mean, the the serial style. And really early on, we get the thing where Tom explains to Harry, like, well, that didn't happen last week. And he's like, no, no, you see, this is... (laughs) And that is brilliant. That's I know it's been parodied and it's been talked about and everything, but people probably don't believe that they did used to do that, but they did. They They would film an ending... And the good guy would get killed, no question about it. And then the next week, something different had happened, and they'd hope that you'd one, forgotten. Well, one of the last well, films to do that the, was uh, one of the last films to do that was actually the Evil Dead series. So at the end of one <laughs> film, it would never quite tie up with the next film. And I, I think it's partly purposeful, kind of like love letter to this kind of thing, and partly probably budgetary or like when they're writing the next film, it's like, eh, no, we don't want to do this. This we'll do this well, instead. Like, one of the big things, and you used to see this regularly in these series, was that the hero would be driving along, being chased, and quite clearly would go over a cliff mm. at the end of the episode. And then the next episode would start, <coughs> and they'd get out of the car and set it going. <laughs> and they kept yeah. to fool yeah. who was chasing them <laughs> went over the cliff. Or, I mean, there were even more extreme versions where it's like you'd see it going way over the cliff, and the next episode they just stop in the nick of time. Like they yeah. don't even go over the cliff. <laughs> yeah, I saw one where there's this big um, fort in the middle of the desert, and there's a truck driving towards it, and it drives into the gates, and it smashes, and it blows up. And then the next week, it's driving towards the fort. They open the gates on the fort, and the truck goes through the gates and the fire. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just crazy stuff. Though that does make me wonder, actually. I know you said, like, you know, Evil Dead was sort of last time we're doing it. We're kind of doing this again in a weird way with things like um, Terminator Dark Fate. You know, that comes out, and we go, yeah, forget about Terminator 3, 4, and 5. They don't count. This is the proper one. Yeah, but that's. And That's more a kind of case of forgetting a whole film as opposed to the yeah, end of the is. film. Then, yeah, yeah. Yes. I know what like, you mean, you're right. Like, a lot of these, what you've got to remember is these um, theatre serials. They were designed for a time where you used to pay to go to the cinema every Saturday morning. These were released for children. Yeah. And, like, we had a uh, Eden cinema where I grew up. You used to be able to go on a Saturday morning 
And you had about four or five hours you you could go in for, and it was 50p. And there'd be some movie and something else, and wildlife documentary and cartoons, and they'd have these serials, and you could go every week. And these things were designed to, oh, my God, what happened yeah, there? Yeah. And, you, and, and the kids dying to go back to see how it ended the next week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to joke that you'd still have change from a Bob note. You literally would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is a, a lost art, I suppose, this type of cliffhanger. I mean, obviously we get would cliffhangers. You upset, would it upset you when I started going to pubs? I could get six pints and a pack of crisps for a fiver. That is impressive. Yeah, You'd be lucky yeah. to get a pint now. <laughs> I remember you, you could, get a, could get a pint and a pack of crisps for a fiver. You could get a pound pint when I started going to the pubs. There you go. <laughs> I never could, but there you go. <laughs> There's like again going back to like how it's aping the style of it. Like they've got the great way they do the screen wipes. Which are probably better known from Star Wars now. You know that was a thing that and George Lucas was doing it as an homage yeah, to as an homage to these sorts <laughs> of things. But yeah, I love that they've got that in. And there's a great joke where um, Harry's going, "Oh well, this looks the same as that planet we went to last week," and you know it's almost <laughs> like it's the same set. And it's like, oh, yeah, which I, I love that because it's that's so Star Trek as well. Exactly, that's yes. the thing. It's oh. and it's not even, it's not even that they're going. Well, let's have a joke at the expense of the original series. No, Voyager does this. The, you know, Voyager <laughs> and DS Nine and TNG had that set that I think they called it Planet, planet Hell. Hell. That's it. And yeah, it's exactly the same. It's just a big rock formation. So, very. I mean, it's, it, sorry, I was just going to say it's absolutely one. In fact, they can do like, clear homage to the uh, those serials which we're talking about. And well, then there's a nice, there's a nice part. There's a nice part where they're coming into crashing like the rocket ship, and they're pressing the control panel and that, and the control panel's going like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's clearly cardboard. <laughs> Just odds and ends put together, yeah. and the whole thing yeah. is like it's a it's a homage to these old series, and we used to yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, there's and then obviously we get cause it's a holodeck episode, so something's obviously got to go wrong, and there's got to be an external threat, and we get that in the form of and I really like the effect how you have these lights, mm. but the lights are in color. And they're the only thing that's in colour within the scene. I think that's really nicely yeah. done. It looks really, really good. And then there's how it manifests itself externally. And I don't think this part of the episode really works. But then it's not that important either. So it kind of doesn't matter that it doesn't work. But this whole thing about... Oh, Voyager's been held in place and we're, we're trying to ratchet up a little bit of tension with what's going on yeah. with Voyager. And I, I just, no. no. I, I could have had the whole episode as a bottle episode on the holodeck, me. Uh, I think that they well, actually reduced the episode for it. Uh, I like some of these shots, like, as you all know, I build models and I've got a Voyager project that I'm sort of working into. And, and this and episode has... has the, but this episode has some of the best shots of Voyager close-ups because it's stood still. You get this beautiful shot of it from behind. So you see all its impulse engines and how all the lights work. There's a shot later on where you get this 
beautiful upward shot of the lower saucer so you can see where all the thrusters and everything are and what colours they are and it's a lot of Voyager Voyager's actually um, in quite dark lighting so you can't see everything clearly and this one they've just got it lit beautifully so you can see what colours it's meant to be where things are it's static it's long shots it's like, I've got a lot of watching of this episode in my future. I mean, uh, Elliot, for, for a start, uh, Retrack Model Studios on YouTube, please check it out. Elliot does some wonderful work there, just for a start. And, I mean, I, I love the fact you've got this. I just wish they'd fit it into an episode where it was more about Voyager than yeah. the holodeck. Well, I think you could have had a whole episode on the holodeck. You could have had a bit more with the Doctor. This was what I didn't like, and we'll get onto it as we get in. But, like, the problem is the that Doctor was kind of have... thrown away in a holodeck episode. When you have Voyager episodes, Voyager's going somewhere or doing something. Yeah. And I think it's possibly the nature of it being a physical model and being moved, and then they have to put umpteen scenes and all that to get the whole um, image that we see. But you don't get these clear shots. So when they have Voyager static and stood still, it's when you can get these beautiful shots of it. But you could have had that in another episode. Yeah, I feel like there are other have. episodes where you're static and they maybe could have done those shots. Like, yeah, there's, there's loads of episodes you'd think, oh, we'll get some lovely shots of Voyager in. Yeah, it's mean, really it's, awful. And this episode the, is just beautiful. It's probably yeah. the ship, which is the still the most because it always runs out of bloody fuel. <laughs> so, like, if there's one show where you could have had this in other episodes, <laughs> this one. Yeah, my argument there would be there's a lot of Voyager episodes where... There's not a lot going on, and it's not got a really interesting central concept to it. Stick the Voyager static shots in that one, and let's expand on the yeah. good stuff in this episode. I just don't think the Voyager stuff works. I don't think they do a good enough job of tying it in. And, like, you know, you go back to, like, the DS9 Armand Bashir, where they pay lip service to why it's a threat to everybody else, but they do it just enough, and they don't on with it like they do in this one but back on the holodeck though there's some great stuff like you've got Tom gets his Indiana Jones moment where he just shoots one of the guards <laughs> which it's a great gag and it always will be so and again if you're gonna homage something in this style Indiana Jones was obviously very much an homage oh. to the the movie serials and everything um, then there's this weird thing about they managed to get off the holodeck, but it's still running, and they sort of explain it a little well, bit later on, like two Vox, well, like, well, why is it running? Yeah, it's sort of like they can't shut the holodeck down. They can't get access, <laughs> at, at, make an arc to exit and all that. But they managed to beam themselves off. Yeah. Yeah, this is the thing. I, I think there was so... They were so fixated on this wonderful stuff they did in the holodeck, and I don't get me wrong, it's great. They sort of forgot some really obvious Star Trek stuff, like of keeping the holodeck up. They could have justified it so much better by saying, oh, the aliens which are coming in, uh, they're interfering with it, they're keeping yeah. it, you know. There's so many other ways they could have justified it, and they didn't. It's like, as I say, you know, the, um, the way they use the crew in this, like, you know, of course, Harry and Tom have to be central. They're Captain Proton and um, Laser Boy or whatever uh, Harry's character is. You know, that makes sense to me. But um, I, I think that's where this episode lets itself down. Where, again, like, why bother with any of the Voyager stuff? Like, just keep it on the holiday. Have a bottle episode. 
You know what? We're enjoying I, ourselves. Stay there. Yeah, I'd have been happy just, and you know, Robert Duncan Mandel evidently agrees with me. I'd have been happy just watching a Captain Proton without even breaking the fourth wall and doing the, oh, Ooh. this is, you know, this is thing. Just give me an episode of Captain Proton. I'd have been well happy with that. But I, I sort of feel like it's a Star Trek episode. So like you were saying with Armand Bashir, that is ostensibly yeah. a uh, Armand Bashir episode, but with a little bit of Star Trek thrown in. Yeah, true. And I think they could have done that, that with this a bit more deftly. They could have done. And if we'd have just done Captain Proton, we wouldn't have got Kate Mulgrew as um, Arachnia, which is just fantastic. <laughs> so yep. I like the the concept of the aliens, that they're photonic life forms, and they think that they're effectively making first contact. You know, they, they think yeah. the holograms are the yeah. real people. And yeah. I, I always like it when Star Trek does a life form that's not a bipedal human and they actually take a bit of time to unpack the idea of, well, how's that going to be different to what we usually do and what are they going to think when they see our world that's so different to theirs? And so, you know, I do like the concept of it. Um, Can I just throw in with that, though? Because I, I, I agree with you and I think they unpack it nicely. The only thing I do find is they've got so many elements. And again, maybe this is the kind of where they disappear in Voyager. They could have lost a couple of scenes and beat mm -hmm. this out. I feel like the character of the uh, hologrammatic uh, beings mm. was kind of a little lost because they, they spent ages explaining them. And you got about two scenes with them. Yeah. And then they just yeah, there was, And then they just disappear. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, like it's almost like, like it's a really good concept, is this with the photonic veins? But it's almost like they had to think of a reason why they got trapped in the Captain Proton episode, mm. uh, yeah. as opposed to exploring. Oh, we've come up with this really interesting concept of how. Let's look at it a bit more. It's not like, oh, we've got a good idea how they've got trapped. Great. Now let's get back to Captain Proton. <laughs> yeah, would it yeah. have been more interesting maybe if they'd have if they'd have had the photonic beings as a more active presence? You know, if they'd have become one of the heroes or even one of the villains yeah. within the and, the holodeck. And they literally got someone killed, and all they really get is uh, the Doctor, who, by the way. This is the ultimate episode you could do for him in yeah. a lot of ways. Like he's found beings like him who are a dominant uh, life form in this uh, in this sector. And what's he gets like? <laughs> hey, geez, that's neat. Let me go and dress up as the president, say hi to them, and then fuck off again. Like that's all he gets. The holographic people don't really appear. I just feel like that is such a key thing in there. That should have been the sort of B storyline for me is the aliens. And uh, the Doctor yeah. getting that feeling of actually being, like, mattering here. It would have been interesting to have, obviously because the Doctor is a hologram and so he can come onto the holodeck, if they had to make him the hero of it. So you could have a brilliant thing where you've got Tom as Captain Proton, but then the Doctor comes in as, like, super Captain Proton and he's an even cooler character <laughs> and he's even better than Tom. <laughs> That. I was just thinking you could have done something a bit like, do you know the film Mall Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> bit of a random pull here, but there's a wonderful scene whereby uh, this guy thinks he's doing the Jedi mind trick. Oh. Behind the scenes, 
someone whacks the stage and a video just flies up and falls into this guy's head. Like, yes, yeah, that's Kevin for Smith. For people who don't know, I won't explain who, what is, but, but like, that's all you need to know. Basically, some things they're doing the Jedi mind trick, and it's basically someone just shoving something and something falling into their hands. Yeah. And I thought you think you could have done something like that. So you've got Tom Paris thinking, thinking he's the savior and he's like saving the day. And then you've got Doctor doing something, the Doctor doing something intricate with a computer. Yeah. And just like, like uh... at that moment, it makes it look like Tom's being the hero, which also plays <laughs> the whole idea. It's holograms. It's yeah, that really would have been cool. cool, like a Cyrano de Bergerac sort of thing, but the Doctor <laughs> pulling the strings. Right, we have um, been critical of the Voyager side of it. However, there is a very funny scene with Janeway and Neelix where she wants a coffee, and she's not happy at all. She's kicking off. But yeah, the... it, it goes. But some we've only got so two replicators left on the whole ship. I don't care. Coffee black yeah. now. <laughs> Which shows you, even in the twenty fourth century, still the, the 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 people in charge get what they want. Yeah, yeah. And but then it goes into <laughs> even weird thing like the toilets are down. And yeah, two see, toilets left. You called me out on this, Doctor Squee, the other week. You you called me out on my bullying racism, and. The bullions, it's mentioned here that if a bullion uses the toilet, there's serious trouble. So I'm hey, just hey, saying hey, I might have been justified in it. It's not racist. That's acknowledging their pain, their struggle to Maybe use the toilet so. safely. And then Neelix... <laughs> comes, recognising them. Neelix comes out with perhaps one of his greatest plans ever. Let's do a rotor for the toilets. But <laughs> I'm not sure that's a great idea, Neelix. Yeah, I think I'll need to go three o'clock on Tuesday, please. Yeah, that's yeah, no, that doesn't work for me, Neelix. I'm sorry. Like, like I can feel the pain here. Like anyone who's ever been to a festival with <laughs> yes. their uh, and oh. half of them are sh- half of them are blocked up by day three. <laughs> the same with um, LARPing. Yeah. yeah. You could understand what they're going oh, through. Oh, definitely, here. yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Whenever you go up like, and you use the like toilet on the first I day, did, um, day, the bushes. What was it? Leeds Fest. Was it 2000 or 2001? Um, the campsite I'd got on, like all the campsites that they have, have so many portaloos at the bottom. And a bunch of idiots uh, decided that they'd burn most of them down. So we had for most of the oh. weekend, we had like on our campsite just two portaloos. Oh, which wasn't no. great. Yeah, that's not great <laughs> at all. Um, I really like the robot, who's very much sort of Marvin, Marvin the Paranoid um, Android, sort of crossed I, with Robin like, the robot. I can't remember which of the 30 serials it was, but there's actually one of... There is actually a... Say, I think it is actually called Satan's Robot. Right. And it does look <laughs> like this. Yeah. They've actually used one of the robots. Oh, yeah. Well, is it I think got a few things on the front different, but... Paramount did do a lot of these serials, so yeah, it's quite possible well they went to their own archive. Uh, I love how Tom just gives it a whack in one of the scenes as well, like when it's talking <laughs> too much, you just like... Sorry, like, Tom gives it a whack in one of the scenes, I don't know if you whack. notice when he gives it the whack, like... This is like <laughs> a completely static, almost like a can with a couple of things stuck on the front of it. But it manages to look really sort of yes. downtrodden and, yeah, it does. and dejected because of it. And it's like, 
whoever's inside that that managed to pull off that how the moon yeah, it's very very good that is amazing yeah <laughs> and then i love the bit where tom's briefing janeway on it and he he has to explain the whole story it's like his army of evil <laughs> all this stuff <laughs> Uh, that's great that really really good fun and then there's the whole bit where he wants um Janeway to play Arachnia and Tuvok's been really sarcastic about the whole thing up until then and then all of a sudden once Janeway wants to be involved with it he's suddenly on board with it you know it's yeah. like, this is such a stupid I mean, idea it's been a Janeway kiss up that is it's like this he is, is ridiculous this is shocking, Mr. Paris. I can't believe you're talking about armies. Oh, the captain's involved. Oh, no, brilliant. Logical, logical. Well, you see in that episode where he brings her... Uh, uh, well, no, it's, sorry, no, I, I was going to prove another point. I was going to say when he brings her tea, but that's um, uh, Sulu. I, actually, it does kind of make the point because he then goes like, you never brought me tea. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, no. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. I think he's always been a kiss <laughs> to the captain. He has, yeah, that's it. Um... <laughs> And then, yeah, Tom explains also, and she's got these pheromones that drive people. Yeah, it's, it is just great because Janeway's very good at playing like the straight man in these comedy roles. Like, she hams it up later, but she's that kind of character where the very thought of her doing these ridiculous things is intrinsically funny even before she yeah. sort of throws herself into the role. So it's a really good awkward scene where Tom's having to explain all of this. I, I think for me, though, you could have done, like, again, it speaks to kind of getting the Doctor involved. Don't get me wrong, Janeway and uh, Captain Mulgrew, uh, Catherine Mulgrew, sorry, uh, hilarious. But imagine her playing off uh, Rob Picardo, who also is just, uh, like, he was so hilarious throughout the whole series. I think those two could have done a quite a pairing on this. Yeah, episode. I mean, yeah, could Bob... Could like, Picardo the thing have played is, chaotic? It, it's really interesting. Twisted. How little they use Robert Picardo in this episode. Yeah. They say it's a holographic episode and a photonic life form episode. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, That's such a waste. Yeah. Although you can look at the other side because, like, the Doctor, I think arguably probably gets the second most amount of episodes, but probably, after Janeway. Yeah. Probably. There is a lot of Doctor episodes. I know Seven and, got a lot when she was introduced. But I think the Doctor, because he had three epi three seasons before, mm. I think there's probably more Doctor episodes. Maybe so. Oh, no, completely. Yeah, yeah. but I, I just think that's because he earns it. He is one he of the does. most... Great. Like, he's one of the most entertaining. It, well, well, we've said it before, haven't we? The Doctor is probably the most developed character ever in Star Trek. From his starting point to his end point, where yeah, he's great. Like Harry. where we last saw him, and like there's every possibility that we could have the Doctor show up in Discovery, because there's no reason why he couldn't be a thousand years old. I'll even add to that that I think that uh, Robert Picardo himself gets very underrated. Like I, I was a fan of him from Inner Space. Like I go oh, back yeah, great as as the cowboy. And then, and yeah, and like, um, oh, don't knock, just come. Like, just doing the most ridiculous accent, but he's just hilarious. Yeah. And in Voyager, we remember him for all the funny episodes, but there's some really great stuff yeah, when he's yeah. um, in The Darkling, and there's another oh. episode where he's kind of, like, playing lovesick, and he's just so mournful. 
there is so much which he does, which, um, yeah, I think he earns that episode count. Definitely. Um, and then, sort of, it, the end of it is Janeway's doing this thing of she's trying to get him to lower the force field. I think maybe she lays The lightning shield. The lightning shield, sorry. Stolen think, directly from Flash Gordon. Absolutely. Not much. <laughs> uh, I think she lays it on a bit too thick. She's not playing her cards close to her chest here. She's just like, oh, why don't you lower the lightning field? Maybe lower the lightning field. Right. To be fair, she's actually... That, that is very much what you'd get in a 1930s serial. Well, it is, <laughs> she's yes. Prop- she's actually playing it brilliantly. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I suppose the reason Chaotica doesn't think it's weird is because that's how everybody talks in these serials. I mean, if anything, Janeway's a bit too good. Like, it works for the episode, but I think Janeway would be a lot more reluctant than this. She's well, thought so. Well, she, like, I, I, like my, one of my favourite parts is, like, where um, you've got Chaotica and he's talking about how the gods has been married and this will be your throne, and she sits in a throne and she says... Actually, this feels rather comfy. I feel uh, like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm at home here. And I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> and I like that she deploys a bit of Kirk Foo when she escapes. She does like a chop. <laughs> it's almost like the, what was it, John Pertwee's doctor with his Venusian Aikido or Venusian, whatever it was. Ven- yeah. He had a Venusian uh, judo. Yeah. There you go, yeah. <laughs> So I like that she does that, and as we said, I don't think they're trying to add a bit of tension with Voyager works because they sort of cut back to Voyager at this point. Oh, we, you know, we're not going to get out, and yeah, or whatever. I, I, I know I'm being a massive geek here, but I have to say James was right. It's uh, Venusian Aikido. Ah, there we go. Is it wonder? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was trying not to say it, but I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I, I I'll openly admit I have nowhere near watched as much Doctor Who as you, Doctor Squee. Comes <laughs> uh, the territory. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and that's about it, really. The good guys win, or do they? Because you get that really cool ending with the question mark, which again is lifted directly from the Flash Gordon but, film. Well, but like to to be fair though. Um, I can't remember who it was that book Rogers fought in the 30s serials, but all these serials, like, most of them had multiple series. Yeah. And the bad guy, even if they were killed or whatever, always came <coughs> back for the next one. It was always the same yeah, actors. Well, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and I'd, I'd always missed in the first Star Wars film where... Darth Vader regains control of his TIE fighter um, of after the Battle of the Death Star, but then he was in Empire Strikes Back. But I remember thinking that that wasn't weird, so I was like, oh, well, the baddie always comes back. And I remember yeah. watching it once with my dad, and I was like, I've never seen that bit before. And he said, well, why did, didn't you think then that he shouldn't be in the next one? I was like, no, because, you know, the, the baddie always gets killed, but then always comes back yeah. the next week. That's... Oh, fuck, we, we, we were just talking about Doug T, the master. Jeez, how many times oh. did he die? And just to go and say, <laughs> I... no, I had a third TARDIS hidden in the burning building which you had me dead Yeah, I, but I liked it where they even got to the point where they stopped explaining it. Like, there's the one... Is it one of the Peter Davison ones where he gets obliterated by the matter obliteration destructor thing? 
and it's like you see him get destroyed and then he comes back with Colin Baker and not a word, nothing. I mean, most of the time it's just usually one line, but it, yeah. and it's so crap. It's like, uh, oh yes, well you know that tree that was my TARDIS, of course, or but, you know, you know, you know that um, that thing you bound me up with that was actually a transporter ray. <laughs> like there was just so they, many lame. Experiences. But they don't even bother with the Colin Baker one. It's no, just yeah, it came back. And same with the recent ones. We still don't know where this new masters come from and where oh, he fits no. into the timeline and blah blah blah. While we're talking about the Master, I recently bought one of them box sets that's come out, and it's um, the John Pertwee season where they first introduced the Master, and so he's in every single serial in that yeah, yeah, yeah. that run. But there's five stories in that run, and they still try and pass it off as a surprise when the Master turns up. So by the <laughs> by the third story, you get to episode <laughs> two, and they're like. Well, we're all working for Mr. So-and-so. And you're like, well, it's going to be the master, isn't it? And he's, shh, <laughs> no, no, shh. And then it gets to episode three and he turns up. And you're like, really? There we go. Because the way they did it was the fact that the um, the doctor was stuck on Earth because he got all his knowledge of time and space yeah. taken out of his head by the Time Lords. So he had this kind of series or two on Earth where it's just like you'd have him, like uh, he was... Uh, knocking about with unit like, yeah. every week and yeah. so the master was just the go-to every week yeah but it's the fact that they try and play it as a surprise every time and it's like it works if you haven't seen him in a few years or if he's disguised in some way but it was just the episode three cliffhanger every time that season is dun 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 it is <laughs> anyway we digress um so yeah. that's that's um bride of chaotica Anyone got any more on that one before we move on to DS9? Just, um, I think we can unanimously say it's a great fun episode. Anyone who hasn't watched it for a while or hasn't watched it before, put it on. It's just good fun to watch. Yeah, I think yeah. we nailed the fact that it's basically it's a great fun episode. Uh, the the fact they've got so many nods to the classic serials, and then they dip in a bit of uh, uh, Star Trek love for the kind of uh, original yeah. series and kind of some nods to that, and even this current series at the time. Uh, but like like we say, I think there's some missed opportunities. It, it's, yeah. it's a, a really good episode. It could have been a great episode. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And you know what? I'm just thinking now if they're gonna do a Captain Proton, just make it an animation. And then you can have Robert Duncan and Neil Garrett Wong doing the voices, no problem, and do it in a sort of that that style of like Roger Ramjet or whatever. That would be pretty cool. Um, anyway. Do you know what What I am worried about, though, is uh, we're 40 minutes into the episode. We've got Heart of Stone from DS9 to cover. I'm worried we won't have enough time to do it justice. Shall we keep on talking about Bride of Chaotica for another five minutes? No, let's just say go going past, <laughs> It doesn't matter if we no, overrun. No, no. No, I was mocking Heartstone, don't worry. It was, it was a subtle dig at Heartstone, but okay. <laughs> well, like, we, we don't have to be subtle with the digs at Heart of Stone, but... Well, there's actually <laughs> some great no. things in Heartstone. Yes, we, we were talking just before you came on the line, Squeed, that I'd forgotten that this was the episode where the B-plot is Nog wanting to go to Starfleet Academy. And that is a great storyline. Uh, it is, but, but doesn't it just show every member of Deep Space Nine just being a complete dick to him? Like, I know, oh, yeah. I understand them being a bit cynical about a Ferengi joining Starfleet and Nog with his past, but 
everyone is a great a dick to him all the way through this episode. Mm, yeah, Dax is all right, I suppose. She kind of no, sticks, Dax Dax sticks up for him, but Cisco's really weird with him. Um, but we'll, actually, yeah. I think Cisco plays it this actually brilliantly. With I think. Dog. I think he, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I think he takes it a bit far at the end where he grabs him and he's roughing him up and he's like, no, you tell me. Why do you want to throw stuff like, All right, <laughs> calm down, Cisco. Just, you know, he does. Just get over it. Um, but the other side of the storyline, to say, you know, we've been building up and it's been done subtly and it, this thing of Odo having feelings for Kira and... This isn't a great payoff to it, really. It's all a bit hokey and stagey, and and obviously it pulls the rug out from under you that it's not even Kira anyway at the end. So I, I think I think Rene Aubergenois does really well with it, but I, I think it deserved a bit better. And you know that relationship will get its due in later episodes, but I think this is a bit of a misstep on the the road to getting there, and it. It doesn't do anything significant to advance anybody's story arc. Like, we know Odo's in love with Kira. Kira doesn't know that. We finish the episode in exactly the same state of play, and the female changeling's not really learned anything. Odo's not really learned anything about the founders and what they're up to, so... Well... <coughs> no, the female changeling has learned why Odo won't come home. Yeah, but she kind of knew anyway. And yeah. also, do they get off really later? Yeah, they do. So it's yeah, it's yeah. a weird one. But yeah, we, we start... Do they pay? Sorry, just, just earlier the point. Where do they pay that off then in another episode? Um, they, actually, I'm thinking, do they pay it off? I think they do to an extent because you have the female changeling when DS9's occupied pretty much yeah. seducing Odo and taking him away from Kira and ultimately he chooses Kira over. Oh, that's so interesting. to an extent it is, but... Yeah. yeah. I never considered that related like, to that. So like, I, like, I... It's, it's a funny episode, is this? Because, like, it's called Heart of Stone. And the A story is the Odo Kira story. But I much prefer the B story. I do. And the B story gets as much time as the A story. And it's the end of this episode, which is unusual. Yeah, it's almost like they realise yeah. they want enough meat on the bones of the A story to, <laughs> to really pad this one out. Um, so, I mean, the plot's very thin. Like, So they're chasing... A maquis allegedly into these caves, which you know look very familiar. Like you know, Captain Proton would be proud. And Never seen caves like this before in Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that. That's pretty much the setup. And then Kira gets trapped by. It's not a rock. It's a crystal. It should be called Heart of Crystal. And the first thing I thought of was, okay, they start talking about this. Can we get your foot out? Can we beam you out? We can't do this. We can't do that. What you want to do, you want to go all James Franco in 127 hours? Like, yeah, just you need to be soaring a foot off, never mind. <laughs> I love that. You're straight to soaring the foot off. Nothing <coughs> if the crystal is going to kill her, which it is, there's no other way out. The cave's going to come down. Just whack the foot off. She even suggests it. She says, like, you could cut my foot off and Julian could show us how great a doctor he is. 
Yes, he could. Just cut I, the foot I think off. The idea is that Odo thinks that they can do another way. But yeah, you are right. Like in this day and age, they can regrow a foot quite like, easily. Um, like, yeah. to be fair, I think at first, when it's just the foot. Yeah. Okay. But when the crystal keeps growing, it's obviously going to kill her. You've got to make that choice of, well, how much of a lower legs are you gonna are we gonna lose here? Yeah, I think am I maybe. gonna lose and I'm go, and am I gonna lose them below the knee? Or am I gonna lose them just below the waist? And could like, they you've got to decide, the like Odo's got With an the face, so yeah, face make here. Quite right, He's yeah. got the side, right, I love this woman. Do I need the important bits keeping? Or am I off <laughs> to cut her off the book back? <laughs> the important bits. And by that, we mean, we mean, we mean, by that, we mean all But you know of her, what I mean? All of Kira is... He's got a decision. Where is he going, when is he going to make the cut? Well, I'm thinking now, though, and I may be giving her a bit too much credit, but maybe the female changeling realises, oh, hang on, Odo would be up for cutting the foot off here. And maybe that's why she gets the phaser and shoots it so that it grows quicker. She's like, I need to make sure he doesn't start lopping bits off here because I'll be rumbled. <laughs> if. I'm just imagining, like, you know, that Odo's there going, like, look, okay, there's two important decisions. I've got to get in touch with uh, Starfleet Command and just check what's going on. Okay, I know it's not part of Starfleet, but for the joke, let's continue yeah. going. And he's going, it's like, um, yeah, okay, um, Admiral Elliot, what should we do? And Elliot's there with his kind of side on one hand, cigar on the other, and the Admiral's club going, well, just keep the important bits and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Charles, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know the bits I mean. Yeah, we know what we mean, Odo. Come on. How far has it gone up, if you know what I mean, Odo? <laughs> Yeah. And how far do you want to go up? I'm sure Odo doesn't have as dirty a mind as some people on this podcast. Anyway, on to Nog then. So Nog goes to see Cisco and he starts bribing him, which is quite a good a good fun scene where he's like, you know, I've brought you this gift and he keeps shaking his hand and everything. And I like the idea that Ferengi wants to come of age after buying apprenticeship. Like, you know, you don't... There's no free yeah. education well, or free apprenticeship well, schemes. Yeah. You've got to buy like, your way into something. Well, I get the impression here is like, it's at his time, like, it said he, it was his, what did he call it? He didn't call it Ascension. No, he says like, yeah, it's it, coming of age, basically. Yeah, but. yeah, it'd become an adult. So what he's basically showing who he wants an apprenticeship from is how well he's been able to earn money just yeah. as a child without a trade. That's very true, yeah. I have no trade. <clears throat> I want an apprenticeship with you, and this is how good I am before I yeah. even yes. come to I, you. I, I think that's nicely done, because if they'd done it so that it was like uh, he didn't do that, it's almost saying it's like... Um, like, Nook kind of gets in his heart what it is to be Starfleet, and he wants to mm. do that. But of course, he's got his upbringing. He's been brought up yeah. as a friendly. He's yeah. been brought up to know things a certain way. So it'd be weird if he didn't like make some missteps following the friendly like, way. Yeah. What I did like was like I can't remember the name of the uh, the the law it is, but Nog is one hundred percent aware and by name of what law mm. a Ferengi he is following 
by offering Cisco a bribe here for an apprenticeship. Yeah, absolutely. That, it, he, that if he doesn't do this, he is actually breaking the law. Yes, very true. Not yeah. thought of that. And it's um, you're right that it is this thing of it doesn't occur to Nog to ask how he gets into Starfleet Academy. He just assumes that because that's the way his culture works, you bribe a commanding officer, and that's how you get in. It's not he's not doing anything wrong here. No, it's just that that's and the only like, world he knows. Like I think this actually shows Cisco up quite a lot. That yes. Cisco is dealing with Ferengi, and he hasn't learnt this part of the custom. Yeah. But also, he's sort of like, can you follow the rules and all that with Safley? He has all these rules. And yet, um, Nog, when he's offering him the bribe, has told him exactly which law it is and what subsection of the law. Yeah, and it's... It's rude in a way for Cisco to refuse the bribe. It, it, you know, it, it's insulting well, him on a cultural level. I think he's going to refuse the bribe still because apparently he did consult the admiral in Starfleet. The admiral just said, "Give the bribe, tell the little fuck to piss off." Yeah, go on now, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting the dynamic and everything. And then you get that bit later on where there's Rom and Nog working on a replicator. And um, Nog says, oh, it's my fault. And quite so, of course it is. It's in your contract. And that's, yeah, anything that goes wrong is your fault. Yeah, that's typical. That's very, very Ferengi. And you know what? And yet, I won't be surprised to, if it Nog said that in my contract, never Nog mind. Says to, Nog says to him, I told you, if we don't do some maintenance on this replicator that's used constantly, once a week... It might break down. Yeah, but you didn't say it would break down, so that's your fault. <laughs> Actually, I mean, this is lovely, and I think almost they could have made a little bit more of it. I think if they'd had Cisco more, um, like, suspicious rather than just kind of like, no, he's definitely up to no good. I think it, they could have played that a bit better, and they could have played a bit better that, no, cause, I mean, this is quite shocking. He's seeing his dad being basically abused. He's yeah. trying his best. Yeah. I think they could have shown that throughout the episode a bit more yeah. and then the ending would have paid off even better that, that's the other thing is this episode's really good for rom's development as well yeah because up until this point rom has always been just presented as an idiot and we learn now there's a lot more to him and obviously that well, will be developed much to be, more to be, as the show to be goes fair on. we've seen quite a few hints of this of just how good he is with engineering yes yes previously like he broke into that Asayas office. He did, and, yeah. And he, like, he just, yeah, what he did to do this. Oh, um, and we had the part where he'd stolen Quark's uh, old destructor pistol because he needed to fix... fix he needed uh, parts from it, yeah. Yeah, he needed the parts to fix the replicator. Yeah, you're right. And, like, these are two completely different items. Yeah. But, and we've seen these hints that Rom is a brilliant engineer previously. I think another That's missed why... opportunity. Sorry, Squeak, go on. No, no, just very quickly, I was going to say, this is why I kind of didn't like the fact that season two onwards he developed that, oh, this kind of voice. And it was like just, it was overplaying the dumb, I felt. Mm. Like, so then when you do get the character development and him actually being pretty smart, just undervalued, I felt like that just voice was just always a bit clown shoes. Like in the first series, he doesn't do it, and it just seemed weird that it suddenly comes in. It took him a while to find the voice. Like if you go back and watch yeah, the pilot well, episode, well, he was only this, hired for one episode. Yeah, he's he's this really aggressive character. He's like, ah, don't be doing that, you know. And it's <laughs> it, you watch yeah. it, and you're like, that's not Rom. That's so weird. 
it was it was never meant to come back after no. an emissary. Well, he's only listed as Ferengi pit boss in that episode. They've not even. Yeah. He's just a guy oh. working at the bar. Um, <laughs> but no, I was going to say, I think another perhaps missed opportunity is we had that sort of story arc with Cisco trying to push Jake to be in Starfleet and then ultimately Jake turning around and saying, no, that's not what I want to do. And I think it'd have been nice to have Cisco acknowledge in some way, yeah, I wanted to pass all this on to my son and now I'm getting the opportunity to do that from this person, the, the person I would have last expected in the world to be the person that I could mentor. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah. Some acknowledgement of that would have been interesting. Um, I think it's where you could perhaps borrow a dash of discovery for a DS9 and that kind of era of next gen of kind of that emotional maturity. Yeah. And maybe like where discovery can get over, like, you know, they stub their toe and it's like, oh my God, I'm sorry this has happened to you. Oh my, like, you know, the, I think they can meet halfway between yeah, the two. Yeah, I think and there is. Yeah. was so really special. And I think DS9 does that well most of the time, but there, there are a couple of bits where you could have maybe played it up. But, um... Another bit, just a completely throwaway scene, but again showing how subtly progressive DS9 could be. You've got Cisco and Dax chatting about a male ensign who's about to have babies, and yeah. nothing's made of it. It's just, they mention it, that's yeah. it. And it's act, they're really happy for him. He has a talk with Julian about it and exactly. all that. And, and, you know, <laughs> is, is there anything going on? Yeah, we're having a baby shower for him. I think it becomes a running joke later in the show that this ensign keeps having babies and they're like, what? He's pregnant again? And so, but, you know, just for anybody out there who says, oh, Star Trek never used to talk about identity politics before Discovery. <laughs> so, you know, that's nice. Um... Yeah. Star Trek has done politics and identity exactly. politics since TOS. Since so, day one. Back yeah. to back to Odo and Kira then. Again, there's not much going on here, is there? Odo's got this idea we'll use a special sound to do it. And all of a sudden we find out all this stuff that Odo's busy makes with Chief O'Brien. Like, oh, I went kayaking with Chief O'Brien. Chief O'Brien's yeah. lent me this book. And... We've not seen this. Where, you know, we've seen them interact with each other, but there's been yeah, no hint that there's this level of um, camaraderie yeah, we between go, them. Yeah, we go kayaking. Like, Chief O'Brien does all the singing. <laughs> I don't get involved in that bit. <laughs> Maybe. It's not like... No, this is Julian Bashir and, yeah, and Chief O'Brien. Yeah, not Odo not and Chief O'Brien. And the thing is, this is never... Show later in the show. No, exactly. It's a, that they have this relationship. It's just a strange one to to put out there. They obviously just wanted now, Odo to be able to regale well, Kira with some sort of anecdote, but it it I just doesn't if, feel. I earned. wonder if already at this point he suspected <coughs> that it wasn't Kira. Maybe. And he was saying and he was saying things. Yeah, perhaps that so. Julie Bashir does with. Chief O'Brien, ah, as if he does them to catch her out maybe, and her not agreeing maybe. with it is pat. But then you have like, why after doing this did he proclaim 
profess his love for her. It takes him hell of a long time to realise, even after yeah, this. Uh, I mean, frankly, Elliot, I think you're being a better writer than the writers were. Because, yeah. like, in the first scene, I felt <laughs> it was a bit forced when he was there saying about, um, oh, yeah, but you didn't ask me if I wanted to be invited yeah. to the thing, which just doesn't yeah. feel like Odo. Like, he's never come across like that in any other yeah, way. Yeah, it's like, I'm not being funny, Odo, but... This is one episode after Vedic Barayles died, which, you know, for the viewers is cause for celebration. But for Kira, she's been through a load of trauma here. So do you really want to be giving a grief about speaking for you in a thing and then confessing you love to her? You know, the body's barely cold, Kira. Yeah. Come on. Hey, like, she doesn't seem bothered. Like, these one part, these one great part of this whole interaction between Kira and Odo that takes part and it's where he says how he got his name yes that's great uh, yeah. and I absolutely love this and hold on one sample there Odo Tatal Odo Ital in Kadassian isn't it Odo Ital I thought it was Odo Ital Odo Ital yeah yeah only because I always remember it from this episode. I don't know why. Weird shit sticks in my it, memory. It's yeah, it, nothing. Yeah. Oh, no, we it's but because I, you I think like one day it'll come up in a pub quiz. sample. <laughs> yeah, unknown sample. Literally nothing. And yeah, that is really, really good. And it's good that he talks about how through his relationships with her and with everyone else on the station, he's been able to reclaim it. And he's got to the point that he isn't offended hearing the name. So I think that's a really, really good character beat for him. Um, what else? That is pretty much it. And then he starts, he confesses his love. And I think René Aubergenois plays it really well. See, he, after he says, I'm in love with you, he breaks down completely. And it's really well done because to Odo, it is this thing that he's been bottling up and it... He's absolutely devastated to have to say it, you know, and it, I think he plays that really, really well. I just, it'd have been nicer if it have had any sort of consequence to it. And, you know, we don't get that moment for another four seasons, three seasons at least, before we actually yeah, get the real characters dealing with this. See it. So, I mean, to be honest with you, if, if anything, I think... I don't want to say this because, like, Nana Vista is a uh, a wonderful actor, wonderful in so many episodes of DS9. I don't think this was one of her best episodes. There was a few mm. uh, scenes where, like, when she's uh, pretending like that she's just been fired upon, yeah, and she's talking about it, she just gives such weird looks and such weird reactions. Well, I, I think it's quite shown up by how good John was acting is. Actually, I think this is really, really clever by Nana Visitor. Yeah, but it's something that you don't realise until sort of the reveal on the first watch because it's not Nana Visitor it's not Kira yeah so she isn't acting normal no 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 I know she's not normal but I think her reactions are just so janky I don't know maybe yeah, that's but, it maybe yeah, she's trying so hard but to do it that. isn't Kira that's the point no I know I know so, I know so you've got Nana Visitor playing somebody who looks and sounds like Kira who isn't Kira so she's playing it where she is doing little bits, so oh, I know his name. Okay, sort of a bit odd. So that's actually really, really good. Yeah, I get you. I feel, I feel your argument. I think it's a really good argument. Just for me, it comes across as 
bad acting, which I'm, I know she's not a bad actor. I'm not trying but to say that, that she is. But that's my, that's my just, point, that she's playing... Think, yes, yeah, I get, it, I get it. She's playing it as not being Kira. You think looking it's... Looking and sounding like Kira. You think it's the but female wanna, changeling who's not a good actress, not yes, no, a visitor. No. What, I, what, I, what I think is that in all these scenes, Kira... Like, Nana Visitor obviously is aware that she's playing the female changeling who looks like Kira, who she normally plays. Yes. And sounds like her. Mm -hmm. So she's doing these little things to sort of, no, I'm not Kira. So if you watch, if once you've seen it, like, we've seen this episode, I don't know how many times. We've all watched this numerous times. But if you think to your first time of watching... It, there's a big reveal when it isn't Kira. But yeah. now the visitor is giving you the clues all the way through mm. that it isn't Kira if I you're watching them. And, I really do understand and, and if this was modern TV, how within an hour of it being released, there's a <laughs> umpteen YouTube videos of 20 Easter eggs to point out all these things. <laughs> Again, I get it. I, I do get it, and I get your argument. I think it's very well argued. But just for me, as opposed to coming off uh, uh, coming off like uh, the changing making missteps, it comes across as bad acting, which I don't th- think. I think it's just for me. It feels like a bit misstep. It, it was, just doesn't um, feel like it doesn't was, quite gel for me. I mean, she wasn't given the best material, and. She was yeah. in that rock thing, which doesn't look great either. It's not a very good effect and everything. And it's got that silly bit where he goes, oh, where did the Maquis, where was he standing? Over here. Ah, but the rock's blocking it. Yeah, but the rock was only that big when he fired. <laughs> it's now, you know, come on, Oda, yeah, you meant to be an investigator. <laughs> yeah, she could have, like, matrixed it. You know, Ronnie, they, they haven't got to good bits by the time they did that, have they, are yet? So... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Odo works out it's not because you she's... See, uh, no expense was spared in our special effects for this episode. Absolutely. <laughs> And yeah, Odo, oh, the, we got <laughs> Odo works it out. It's not Kira because Kira would never say she loves him. You know what, Odo? You might be wrong there, son. Give it six years. You never know. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's the founder. We get a little tiny confrontation which, oh, no changelings ever had harmed another foreshadowing, foreshadowing. And, <laughs> and yeah, that's about it, isn't it, really? They yeah, come back to like, the station and... Yeah. Well, back to the station, we've got, like, we go back to the dog thing where Cisco decides to ch- to test him. Yeah, dude, tell me dog! So, good, no, where he sends him to do a stock take. Oh, yeah, he does the stock take, and he does he a does bloody stock good take job. And, and like it's like there's a lot of expensive pieces of equipment there. Yeah, he thinks you want the in there, and that's that's saying. Yeah, no, that's that's racist, Ferengi's. It is. It's Ferengi racism. And Cisco goes no, and then it turns out he does it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say like he's told to do this stock take in the morning, and he's asked to give it. The results by the following morning he says no I'll have it done before yeah he does it early he does it in five hours so he's probably done it in in half the time he's meant to 
And not only that, he's done it better than a bunch of Starfleet officers managed to do a week Well, before. that's it, because Cisco's acute, oh, potentially ready to accuse Nog of stealing. But he no, find... that was Stax. No, Dax, wait a and, he but, wanted to see how we do with it, but it was Stacks who said but, that there's a lot of equipment he, there that could go missing. But he actually finds new things, so maybe it's like Fingered O'Brien who's done the previous yeah. stop take, you <laughs> know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's like, oh, hold on. Who from Starfleet did this uh, last stop take and why did you miss all this stuff? And who's let's fine. watch you let's watch you for the next couple of yeah. months of what goes missing. <laughs> Jim, Jim, like we're even going down the alley of it's not just O'Brien's late fingers, it's O'Brien's team's late fingers. He's there sitting at the, the desk going, like, what do you got for me, boys? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, isn't it? It's O'Brien's like, just driving around in a pimp mobile. Like, <laughs> like normally you t- but it is, it's sort of implied, implied that a stock take of this storage area is done by several people. Yeah. Working together. I remember. So Nog's done it. Nog's done it in half the time on his own. Done a better job and found stuff that they've missed. Like with all the censoring equipment and all the stuff that you'd expect from the technology. How are they missing items? That's somebody who's ready to help the marquee. This is a total. Like if Edison was on board by now, I'd, uh, I'd quite be Eddington, he's actually is Eddington because he he came on start of season three, yeah. Um, so that oh probably, well, there that, you go. That probably is who's going to go missing. But yeah, sorry, uh, this is a complete tangent, that's, and I apologise. But to missing from the Starfleet stock take. Exactly. I remember once when I had to do a stock take at a, a shop that I used to work at, which I won't name because it's gone out of business now. Um, but yeah, we had to go do his stock take, and this assistant manager who were rubbish was showing us how to do the thing. And he goes, Right, when there's a lot of them, so more than five, you need to tick off each serial number, check each one, and make sure that you've got the serial number. Like, right, okay, he goes, If there's less than five, you can do a physical count. I'm like, What's physical count? And he goes, I'll show you how to do a physical count. And he looks at it, and there's these three Xboxes stacked up, original Xboxes as well, that weighed a ton. And he goes, physical count, one, two, three. And then ticks it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks for showing me how to do a physical count. I'd have really struggled with that if you hadn't ever shown me how to. But he said it every time he went around, like, physical count, one, two, three. Physical count, one. Physical count, one, two. And it, why are you doing it? You can see it. Yeah, <laughs> you can, you can see so by looking, I'm, you don't need to say one, two, three. Personally, I'm quite good at stock taking, but that's from my time at Sife when I worked for Allied Jamaic because uh, my entire bonus was based on it. There you go. Well, I was not very good at it. I got told off. They were like, you've missed off loads of things. I'm like, yeah, because do you know what I did? You give me the list. I went upstairs, sat upstairs for 20 minutes and then ticked everything on it and then brought it back. <laughs> we you know why? Because you paid me two a, quid an hour. I won't, I won't say the name of the firm or, the, or which store it was, but we had um, a girl working there that did the stock take one night and we used to have these little cartons of chocolate powder to sprinkle on cappuccinos and we had a new in packs of six so you might have a full pack or you might have just five individual cartons left. And she did a stock take and managed to put down that we had um, five and a half thousand <coughs> cartons of this chocolate shaking. 
and then uh, couldn't work out why we weren't getting any delivered. <laughs> ah, okay. So you didn't actually have five and a half thousand. Um, could you imagine having five and a half thousand cartons of chocolate? Uh, I don't know, big cocoa yeah, powder. It's mean, quite little. Like, you know. <laughs> it's still a lot. It's five and a half thousand of them. I'm surprised you didn't tell her that you had to open them and count all the grains. <laughs> and, grains. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. That's maybe how she got up to five and a half thousand. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh dear. Anyway, uh, I think that about does us for Heart of Stone, does it? Yeah, yeah. Apart from obviously, Cisco does all his bit of challenging Nog. Why do you want to join yeah. Starfleet? And, and Nog admits, I don't want to be like my father. Yeah. My father, if he was on Starfleet, he'd be a chief engineer. Is that brilliant with engineering? But he's stuck working for Quark. For Quark, well, yeah. with, with a no, bad And Cisco goes, I will send the letter of recommendation. Yeah, it, it's a good payoff to the end. And obviously, you know, Nog becomes a really, really interesting and vital character going forward. So, yeah, I like the, the Nog story arc. And I'm glad we got to cover it here. And I'm glad it... Well, it does yeah, the heavy lifting like, for this episode. It's like, the A plot's it's not like to be fair with this, like we're doing an in-depth into the Dominion War. And we've covered this episode because of the changeling with Odo. And that's the A story. But the B story is so like the A story doesn't go a lot anywhere. No. Nope. But the B story has all your sort of starting of well, we've had glimpses of Rob previously with his output and engineer, but we have sort of where he's going to go with how important mm -hmm. with his engineering to the story of how great an engineer, what he does in the end. We have Nog going into becoming a cadet, and we know we know that Nog not only becomes a cadet, even though we don't see it in DS9, because of Discovery, hmm. we know how great an officer Nog must have been. Yeah. Because a starship is named after him. Absolutely, yeah. Or, or that could have been Nog the Third. We don't know. But <laughs> no, that's nothing. No, right? but, no, no, but we know that. But you don't get a starship named after you unless you are really great and, and pivotal yeah. for Starfleet. No, no, so, the, the only thing I was going to add is just I completely agree. I, I think that perhaps just the... Um, that plot with Nog could have been a bit more nuanced. I think um, Captain Cisco could have had a lot better, more of a nuanced kind of view on it. Yeah. It just seemed weird. It's like, nah, it's Nog. I'm just going to beat him around until he tells me what he's doing. Yeah. Like, he seemed almost arch. And I yes. think what you've said is completely true about the uh, A story about um, Odo and Kira. I just think that, like, there are so many episodes covering this. I would do it better, you know, I, I think, and that's a storyline you're playing over so many, like pretty mm. much throughout the whole show, you're playing this unrequited love story until they finally get it together at the end, that you need to use that very sparingly. So when you waste an episode like this and you do it pretty unnuancedly and you don't really nail the characters, it just, um, it's, it's just such a, a waste opportunity. Uh, it's one of them, it takes us from point A to point B, to, sorry, point A to point A. There's, yeah, you know, there's nothing like Odo was uh, admitted how, how in love with her he is, but she doesn't know. Yeah, so do you know, do we're you know still at this, it, where we were. What it made me think about was the episode where you've got the children of time 
And uh, that's the name of the episode where yeah. they're on the planet when, yeah, yeah. And uh, they do it so well, yeah. the storyline with Odo there. Yes. And him finally revealing to her, her knowing, but not like younger Odo not knowing. It's just yeah. so beautifully done. And then yeah. I look at this episode and go, oh shit, we could be watching this instead. <laughs> like, that's what yeah. they do. These are, like, these really are nicely reused use prop here. Um, oh, what's the episode called where it's that little. Sort of key thing. Self-sealing stem bolt. No. Oh. Uh, we've already covered it. Vortex. Vortex. And um, Kira is sword in the same uh, chamber that the little girl was ah, sword in. <laughs> very good. That's good attention to detail. All right, then. Well, that does us for Heart of Stone. The next episode that we're going to um, put out into the world is going to be talking about Lower Decks, uh, Season 2, Episode 1, so that's going to be really exciting. It, and we're also going to talk about a bonus episode. We haven't well, decided we what have it a, is yet. Yeah, yeah, we have a bonus episode that'll go out live, <laughs> but the podcast... Yeah, the podcast... <laughs> will be will, Lower Decks. Uh, so you, it's because of how we record and release... Yeah. So we've got lots of content coming. Um, Dr. Squee, what have you got coming up? Uh, Dr. Squee show Thursday on the bed. Live at 8pm till 10pm on a Thursday. Uh, this week we're doing uh, more of the um, your favourite lyrics from, uh, from songs you like. So you're just your favourite lyric from any song. And uh, we're actually going to be playing our chat from this, from Retrek last week. Uh, Captain Jim has very uh, kindly said that we can play that out because basically I've been just busy and haven't arranged a guest. So that's what we're going to do this week is playing like us talking about the animated Star Trek coming up. There we go. Uh, you know what? Uh, there's nothing stuff. wrong with that. Uh, yeah. like, I don't know if uh, people caught it, um, but you did um, the release for Squeefest. Three yeah, oh, yeah. First, first guest announcement from Squeefest 3 or Squeefest, <laughs> as I like to call it. Um, so Squeefest 3, which is happening the 25th and 26th of September. There'll be loads more details coming up, but the first guest announcement is the amazing ace herself from Dog Do, Sophie Aldred, is going to be our guest. Absolutely. And loads more to come. Absolutely brilliant. And, um, yeah, I, I don't envy you that task because, you know, I've met Sophie a couple of times at convention things. And I can barely make eye contact with her because I just remember being that little kid who she was like my big crush when I was watching Dot Two. And yeah, I would find it very oh, difficult. It's, it's worse than that. She's so one of the I, nicest people ever as well. Exactly. Lovely, lovely, so, lovely, so, so, yeah, good luck. Uh, I'm yeah. sure it'll be a really good interview. Yeah. Um, um, like, we'll be putting stuff up as well in the lead up because it's all for a good cause for charity. Absolutely. Yeah, and Retrek will be there. We will indeed. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at RetrekPod. You can email us RetrekPod at gmail.com or come and join us on the Facebook group and talk to us about Star Trek. Thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye. Live long and prosper.